0: Uh, So tonight, um, our second scripture is from James chapter 1, verses 22 to 27, and so I would invite you to either follow along in your Bible, James is a short little two-page book that comes right after Hebrews, um, or on the screen and just reference your Bible later. Uh, Hear the word now of the Apostle James. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and, after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself. And his religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the Word. World. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want to start by saying this this is our last sermon in our series on the fruit of the Spirit. And the last one Paul mentions is self-control, which I think is so interesting. You know, because as Christians, we believe that God is in control. God has created the world. God is ruling the world. God's laws are making the world go. And yet, we also believe, depending on our level, though, but we also believe that God has given us free will. That even though God is in control, and even though God has ordained all these things, <laughs> Whether in in faith or in love, I'm not exactly sure the balance, but he has seemingly foolishly given humanity control. That we can make our own decisions, even though it's been proven we can't. It'd be like putting a toddler in charge of your family finances and hoping for the best. But yet this is what God has done. He has said, hey, uh, I know you are imperfect. I know that sin has entered the world, but I continue to give you this gift of free will. And so that is where we find ourselves, with the Apostle Paul calling on believers to exercise self-control. It's the last of the fruit of the Spirit. And after this, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5 that against such things, meaning the the fruit of the Spirit, he lists that there is no such law. But this self-control thing, it's very difficult, isn't it? Self-control is sort of like humility. As soon as you think you have it, you've missed the point. Yeah, know, we have this joke in my family always say is, you know, uh, they gave me a shirt that said I'm the most humble, but as soon as I put it on, they took it away from me. You know, you think you have it, and you think, oh, I finally am a humble person, and then you've missed the point. And self-control is not so different. You know, we cannot ever master something and then just put our guard down, can we? Because any one of us who has ever struggled with sin knows that as soon as we stop As soon as we think we have it under control, it comes back. We cannot ever fully master this and relax, so then how do we live in this way to where we can exercise self-control through the Spirit of God? You know, our first passage tonight, many of you recognize. It's one of King David's many mistakes. You know, for a man who is labeled as a man or a king after God's own heart, he sure screws up a lot. You know, and this is the most famous one. And and, and as it relates to self-control, there's a lot of things in this story that are bad. (laughs) There's a lot of things in this story that stick out. But all you need to know about self-control in this story of David and Bathsheba is in the very first verse. You may have noticed it. Some of you may have never noticed it before. But it says, in the springtime, when kings go away to war, David sent someone else and he stayed home. You ever notice that detail? This whole event that is so famous about David, you know, sleeping with this woman and then killing her husband and trying to cover it up, all begins with the simple fact that he did not do what he ought to have done. He should have been one place and decided instead to not be there. And then to try and cover his sin, as we've all done many times, he compounds sin upon other sin to try and cover it up. You know, self control is such an interesting thing because when we lose it and when we give in to a sin of whatever kind it is, what we're doing is actually giving up our free will that God gave us. This is why sin is so powerful. See, because we do one thing, and then rather than confess that one thing and be free, we see with the story of David, he compounded the sin and continued to sin. And then, therefore, to try and cover up his previous sins, he continues to sin, and he becomes a slave to sin, rather than making choices of his own free will. God gave him the gift of free will, and David just continued to sin and became a slave to that sin. That with our free will, realize, that, brothers and sisters in Christ, that we choose to walk through a series of doors. And we think we are being free, but then that sin, that lack of self-control, eventually traps us. And seemingly forces us into that next bad decision. And it's amazing how sin works and how sneaky it is because we actually give up our freedom. We give up the desire or or the ability to be in control, this gift from God, this gift from the Spirit. And we say, no, I don't want that. I'm going to be a slave to this other thing. But the David example is a big one, right? I use it to sort of frame what we're going to talk about. But it's more like a Hollywood movie. You know, it's this king who has an affair and then covers it all up. And it, Odds are none of you will be in this situation. Um, I hope none of you are. How do we deal with this day-to-day? How do we deal with self-control in the little interactions, in the little exchanges we have, in the times we lose our temper, the times we do something stupid or foolish and no one ever really finds out about? I think James is a great example. You know, in James 1, well, James is a great book, by the way, um, if you ever need some really sharp correction in your life. Uh, James is a little harsher than the Apostle Paul. And, And James, this is, by the way, the brother of Jesus, most scholars believe. He writes in verse 22, and he says, listen, don't merely listen and hear the word. Do it. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, well, you know, sometimes or maybe. He says, listen, do not merely listen to the word, just do it. I mean, what more can we say about that? We can't be any more clear. You know, my dad always says this, that life is really simple. It comes down to choices. You choose good things or you choose bad things. You know, practically, think about your day. Think about your day tomorrow. Think about your day Tuesday. What are the choices you are going to make? What doors are you going to walk through? You know, some choices are good. Here you are in worship. Here we are together gathering in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is good. But some may be decisions you made today or the day before were not so good. And James says, if you need an analogy for this, if you need to know what I'm talking about, about acting in a way that honors God and does what the Word says, think of a person who looks in a mirror and immediately forgets. You know, how frustrating is it when we pull our phone out or we glance at our watch to see what time it is, and then we completely and immediately forget and have to look again. Fortunately, no one around us knows that we'd have to look at our watch twice because we somehow got distracted with just this. I don't understand. It happens to me all the time. But when you look at the book of James and what James is saying, I, I want to just go back for a second and talk about the grandness of the Bible. Because when James says, those who look at this law and we need to study it and not forget what the law says, we now have also the New Testament. So we have the Old and New Testaments now as believers to look at and to draw from. And, and James is presupposing something here that I want to make sure is clear. He says, when you do this, right? He doesn't say if. Right? He's presupposing that as Christians, as believers, we are going to be reading this. He says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. He doesn't say if you listen to the word. He says, you just don't merely listen. It's going to be, he's presupposing something that we're all doing this. You, to, to carry out the analogy he uses, you will go to the mirror. You will go and look and see what you look like. Don't forget. And let me just say this. I am not a big proponent of mandating anything. You'll never hear me say you need to wake up every morning and, and be in quiet hour You know, for an hour reading your Bible. I'll never tell you that you have to do anything a certain way. I believe that God reveals himself to all of us in different ways and gifts. And Okay, fine. But... <laughs> We all have different lives and circumstances. We all have different calendars. But if you are a Christian, if your Sunday, last Sunday of Easter, was a celebratory day because of the forgiveness of your sins, if this service means anything to you, and you thank God for your redemption and you sing these songs of praise, you need to be in the Word of God, and it needs to be more than on Sunday. I cannot overstress this enough I cannot overemphasize the power of this book enough I cannot tell you enough how powerful and how essential this book is and if Sundays are the only time you open this book you are missing out on so much wisdom and so much joy and so much help so real quick I'm going to give you just some of the reminders of things that are in this book These are just some of my highlights. They're not on the screen. I'm just going to say them to you. Everyone has different verses that are their favorites. These are some of the ones I love. Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. Deuteronomy 30 says, see, I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. Therefore, choose life that you and your children may live. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us on anxiousness, something we all struggle with, right? And he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour of his span of life? The book of Isaiah says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. First Peter tells us to be holy because God is holy. I mean, these are all things in this book that we need to be going to all the time, daily. Proverbs 3, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways submit to God and he will make your paths straight. All of Psalm 23, and if you don't know Psalm 23, I know someone here who can recite it for you. John 14, this is a great one that I always forget. Jesus says in John 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. For not so would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you there to be with me that you may also be where I am and you know the place where I am going. This book is also filled with great reminders of how dangerous sin is. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to it. Should we keep going? This is why we're in this book. One of the first Bible verses I memorized was 1 Corinthians 15.33. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. This is why we need to be in the Word. As we go through our day, as we go through our week, as we go through our lives, these are the things that strengthen us. These are the things that build us up. And this is why in verse 25, James says to look intently into the word and study intentionality. This word in Greek that he says intently also is translated as stooping, like stooping over to inspect something. It's really cool. He's talking about when we go to the Bible, we don't just look at it glancing, we don't just look at it in passing, but we actually stop and study. You know, one of my favorite images of this is anyone who's ever babysat a small child or has small children, if you've ever seen a kid who notices an anthill for the first time, I remember watching a kid once I was babysitting. I might have been 13 or 14 years old, and she was maybe three, and she was walking around in the summertime, you know, on the back patio, and then she just stops. And then gets down on the ground and is just watching These ants, it was the easiest day of babysitting ever because she sat there and watched these ants for maybe an hour. And when I think of stopping and stooping over the Word to study it, that's what I think of. Stop what you're doing. Things around you could be happening, but this is something that should stop and draw our attention, that we intently look into the Word. And if I can challenge you as well, church, don't just read it, but memorize it. Don't just read this book, but memorize it. Write it on your heart. Write it on your head. I mean, commit it to memory so that no one could ever take it from you. You know, my dad, he always memorizes scripture, and I never really did. I remember back in my first year of college, there's this old, uh, one of the first mainstream hip-hop songs ever. It's called Rapper's Delight, and it's really, really long, something like 13 minutes, and I had almost all of it memorized. And then I remember my first year in Bible college thinking, I have a 14-minute song memorized, but I can't remember anything other than John 3.16. Something's wrong here. Now, there's nothing wrong with memorizing song lyrics, but think of the things that are memorized in your brain. Think of the things that you don't even have to try to recall, and consider how much scripture you have of the same level. And the reason we do it is not simply to say, oh, look at all the scripture I have memorized. But when the times when we need it, the times we need it to encourage and to build us up, it is there. As I mentioned, my dad, he would memorize scripture all the time. And and, and when he was going through chemotherapy and and radiation on his face for cancer, he couldn't read the Bible because he was in this machine getting awful drugs and things. And praise God, he's in remission. But at the time, he said he would sit there and just recite Romans 8 in his head. He couldn't sit there and read his Bible, and so he memorized it so that God would be with him in these difficult times. See, Scripture is not just for us on Sundays, but it's for us all the time. And and, and when we memorize it, no one can take it from you. I mean, imagine having a bad day. Imagine having a day where you feel shame and guilt and like the world has just stomped on you. And you remember the words from the story of the prodigal son. While he was still a long way off, His father saw him and was filled with compassion. And so he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ringer on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Imagine having a horrible morning at work and reading that at lunch and just thinking, no matter what I've done, there's God waiting for me to come back. And this is why James says, if you meditate on the Word, if you intently study the Word, you will be blessed. This book will bless you, it will care for you, it will encourage you, it will build you up. And remember, this is not monetary blessing, as some preachers have perverted the word to say that God will make you rich. God will build up your mind and your heart through the word, and you will begin to see things that you truly desire. Things like self-control. This self-control we all desire to be better people. It comes from here. You know, this past Wednesday we had our men's uh, men's ministry Bible study breakfast. And it was great. We just talked about the Word for an hour. Talked about life. We worked through it. It wasn't an academic conversation. We never talked about Greek or Hebrew verbs. We just talked about life. We just got together and talked about Philippians chapter 1. It was great. We got to work together on life. And this is how Scripture works. Scripture takes work. It takes energy. It takes effort. But Scripture will lead us to the things we desire, those fruit of the Spirit, things like self-control. You know, I was thinking about this, and I was trying to think of a a way to put it into practice. And, you know, what's funny is these days, not many of us, if we even have cars in Switzerland, but not many of us can work on any new cars. You know, they got these big, stupid plastic cases over the whole engine, and everything's computer chips, and you have to take it, and they read all these diagnostics. And, you know, I was thinking, maybe that's part of the problem. Maybe... Everything in life has become so complicated. We just outsource it, you know. So we don't actually ever work on anything. And in our spirituality, we just think, well, there has to be someone else who can just fix it for me. But there's no one. You have to do it. But anyways, I was thinking about this idea of cars, and um, you know, those of us who, who, if you've ever had an old car or you've ever worked on an old car, it's a really engaging, fun discipline. You know, I'm American obviously. And uh, I got my license at 16, on my 16th birthday, as soon as I legally could. I was in line at the the government office, you know, before it even opened. And I wanted to share a little bit about my history with you. Um, My past is a little secret. There's a a wonderful picture here. It's a little dark, but that is 16 or 17-year-old Sam in my first car. It's a 1971 Volkswagen bus with a 1600cc engine. If you don't know what that means, praise God, it's really dark, so you can't see my face. That's what the engine looked like. And the engine is not big. The engine is only about that big. It's not big. And I remember I got this car, and I got this manual, and it told me everything about this car and how this engine worked. I can tell you what all those things do and how they work. And I remember reading over this manual and poring over it, because owning a 40-year-old Volkswagen is knowing that sometimes it's going to break. And not if, but when. And, and, and sometimes at the most inconvenient times. If you've ever seen the movie Little Miss Sunshine, where they have one of these and they sort of have to push start it across country, um, I once survived about six months without a starter and did that. I learned how to do it myself. It's really fun. But it's kind of dangerous. You have to, you have to plan where you park to either have a downhill or a long flat stretch and then ask a really nice person to help push. Um, but I was thinking about this and I was thinking... You know, we all learn this in different ways. I learned it from working on my first car. You may have learned it somewhere else. But when we really sit down and focus on something, when we really sit down and try to accomplish something, we feel so much better about it. I remember the first time I changed my own oil in my car. There was oil all over the place. I was—I'd ruined a whole you know, shirt and pants. But I just felt so accomplished. I may have only saved $30, but man, did I feel so accomplished. And I was thinking, you know, we don't work on cars as much anymore, but whatever it is that you really work at, the Bible and our lives in pursuit of self-control are not so different. It's not always as easy as simply a chore of changing spark plugs or bleeding brake lines, but the Bible is a book that we go to, that we pour over, that we examine, that we study So that we can fix something that we may have broken with bad choices or a lack of self-control. So that we can fix something that may have been tarnished by sin in generations and generations of sin. We go to the Bible to learn, to understand, and to gain wisdom. And and, and what's amazing about it is that we often forget that we're the ones who have done these things. Our lack of self-control in the past has led to all of these misunderstandings of the world. And that God has given us this book. To clarify it, God has given us these words to make our paths straight. And this is why James, in the next two verses, puts a huge weight on the tongue. He says, listen, if you cannot tame your tongue, your religion is worthless. If the things that come out of you are not from God, are not from his word, then what is the point of what you're doing? He's basically saying you study intently the word, you get into the Bible, and then the things that come out of you will glorify God. It starts, self-control starts in the mind and in the heart. And, and that is transformed by the Word, and then it will manifest itself in what we say and the control we have over our tongue and in our actions. You know, if we're not transformed by the Word of God, it says in verse 27, go to verse 27 real quick, please. What is the other option? That we will be polluted by the world. Self-control starts inside. It starts what you're putting in, and it starts with what you're putting into your heart and into your mind. You know, one of my mentors always says that the saddest thing about life is that we have the harshest words with the people we love the most. Think about that. We have the harshest words with the people we love the most in this world. As brothers and sisters in Christ, the word should enter into our minds and enter into our hearts so that what comes out of our mouth honors and glorifies God. This is also why Jesus in Matthew 5 talked about how important the mind was. Remember in the Beatitudes? When Jesus was teaching, he says, You've heard it say, do not commit adultery, but I tell you, even if you think it, you've already already committed it. You've heard it said, do not murder, but here to tell you, if you think it, you've already done it. We saw the same thing with David, didn't we? He says, "Huh, who's that girl over there? I'm just going to send my guy to go find out what's her story. See, we try to control our actions first, don't we? We always try to manage our behavior. But really what we need to do is begin by thinking about what's going into our heart and our mind. First, we need to be in the Word. first. First, we need to go to this book, and then second, we need to stop thinking about self-control as sin management. You know, my favorite author, Dallas Willard, talks about how many Christians have come to see the gospel of Jesus Christ as the gospel of sin management. We think Jesus died so that we can just modify our behavior. And so we try our best to just stop doing bad things, at least until Jesus comes. Hopefully I don't get stuck in something bad when he comes back. But there's no transformation. There's no renewal of our heart. We just simply are modifying and trying to do our best each day without really knowing how or why. We're just simply trying to stop bad things. And this is why people often don't want any part of Christianity. It seems superficial. It seems like a waste of time. Maybe they've tried it and it didn't work, so they said, nah, I don't want anything to do with that. You know, brothers and sisters in Christ, I do not believe in a gospel of sin management. I believe in a gospel of renewal and transformation. I believe that Jesus died on the cross that we celebrated last week in Easter, that we would be transformed. That we would be able to go to the source, and our minds and our hearts would change. And that through the Spirit of God, that that what comes out of our mouth, what comes out from our tongue, through our words we say and our actions would lead to greater self-control and glory for God. See, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, and God desires you to be renewed, that this would be the norm. This would be your every day. Not simply to manage your problems until Jesus returns. He gave us the Holy Spirit that we would not just have self-control, but that we would have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Apostle Paul also shares this sentiment. In the book of Romans, um, he wrote this. I got it up here. If you go to after the pictures, Lisa. One more. Oh, it's not on there? Yeah, it is. Great. No, No, it's fine. The Apostle Paul says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. People always want to know, what does God want for me? What is God's will for my life? This is it. That your heart and your mind would be transformed by the word of God. (laughs) And that as you read this book, you would know what God desires for you that your tongue would not be so sharp, that your actions would be loving and caring. When we go to the Word and look intently upon it, stoop over it like a toddler at an anthill, our hearts and our mind begin to be renewed, and they fill up with the things of God so that the things that then come out of us are the things of God, which is the gospel of renewal and change, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. And through our self-control, we will see things start to change around us. We will see discipleship grow. We will see community become stronger. We will see openness to confess sin so that brothers and sisters in Christ are no longer trapped in their sin. We will see wisdom and faith grow all the more. And self-control will become easier little by little. You'll never complete it on this side of heaven. I always say this, you know, the more you practice something, the easier it gets. First time I changed my oil, it probably took me four hours. I might have gotten it under two hours at some point, but... Self-control is not complicated, but it's not easy. And we know what to do, but we just don't do it, do we? We, like David, we know we're supposed to be in the Word, but I've just decided to watch this TV show that's garbage instead. I'm guilty of it. Like David, David said what? David, in the spring when kings go away to war, meh, I'm just going to hang at the palace. It seems easier. Yeah, sin is easier. But is it what we ought to do? Or should we allow the living word to purify our hearts, to purify our minds that we would live in God's will and not our own? That we would be women and men of sober judgment and wise choices who live self-controlled lives through the power of the Spirit. And this is why tonight is so wonderful, is that we get to celebrate this by the communion table. That we come in humility and that we leave in grace and in power. On the night that Jesus was betrayed... He took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after supper, Christ took a cup. And when he poured it, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. For as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, We proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ of renewal, of transformation, not just of sin management. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for this cup and this bread, for what they represent, what they mean to us. And so, Lord, tonight I pray that this table would be a table of renewal, that this table would be a table where we are transformed, Lord, that we would be free from the slavery of sin and bondage, Lord. Free to live in your will, to live upright, godly, self-controlled lives. And that this table would start a transformation. That we would fill ourselves with this bread and this cup. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this time. Amen.